Please go ahead and take those Bibles and turn in them with me first to Ezra chapter 1. Ezra is in the Old Testament. We're going to actually look at a few different passages tonight, but we're going to start in Ezra chapter 1 in the Old Testament. If you're using a Bible from this room, you will find Ezra 1 on page 334 in those Bibles. And by the way, if you either don't own a copy of the Bible for yourself, or if you just struggle to keep up with one and and it's easy for you just to take the one from here, you can do that. Those are free for the taking. Go ahead and take the nicest one you can find. That's fine. Page 334. Now, most of you are probably aware of the significant significance of today's date, even if you maybe don't remember or weren't around on September 11th, 2001. One of the most interesting things that happened in American culture shortly after the events of that day was the way that people flocked to churches. And there were a variety of reasons why people did this. Some went, I think, because uh, they just maybe genuinely had hard questions and thought people at church could help answer those questions. Uh, maybe they did it just because they had a feeling that it was the right thing to do or, or that it was the American thing to do. But I also suspect that there were many people who went to church in the days following those events, even though they didn't feel like it. They went because they were somehow compelled to go to God anyway in spite of really difficult circumstances. So, so think about it this way. Tragedy normally either compels people to worship or you could say that it that in some cases it actually repels people from worshiping. If you have something difficult in your life, it probably means that you're either going to fall on your face before God or you're going to shun God normally. Now, we saw last week in our discussion of worship that worship is something that all people do. Whether consciously or not, everybody worships. What we're trying to understand tonight as we continue to think about worship is that what we'll call corporate worship, okay, uh, gathering together for worship, meeting one another to worship together is something that Christians must do. So I would think that at least some of you, I know I'm, I'm here tonight mostly because I think we're supposed to do this. This is the right thing for us to do. And the Bible it gives the, what, we, what I would think is the regular pattern for how God's people are to gather for worship. So when we worship, we want to make sure we're following the Bible in the way that we worship. Um, we're talking mainly about this idea of we become like what we worship. We saw that last week from, from the Psalms. The statement that we emphasized last week is that you and I, all people, we will resemble what we revere. Whatever it is that, that you and I look to as an object of worship, we will become like that thing. We will begin to resemble it. And it will either ruin us or we can have restoration in it. That was the main idea from last week. Now, a couple of main questions for this week. We're going to try mainly to answer two questions tonight. So here they are. The first one, I think, is probably there in your, in your notes or at least in the uh, title of the notes. But it would be something like this. What if I don't feel like worshiping? What if I just don't feel like it? 
So maybe, maybe there has been a tragedy in your life. Maybe there's something really difficult that you're facing, and instead of compelling you to worship, it actually, worship just feels really like the last thing you want to do. What if I just don't feel like worshiping? Uh, the second question that, it, that is kind of, um, I think, related to that is like, well, if I'm supposed to worship anyway, if the Bible actually commands that we worship, then how should we do it, whether we feel like it or not? So those are the main directions we're going to try to attempt to go with this tonight. I guess you could call these notes something of a guide, a guide for what it looks like for God's people to worship together, meeting something like what we're doing tonight, according to the Bible. So in your notes, uh, four guides, so to speak, or four parts to this guide. The first part uh, is, is just what I kind of said earlier, a regular pattern. I think there's a regular pattern for the way that Christians worship when they meet together. So here they are. I'm just going to go through them, and then we're going to look at them in the Bible. Uh, here's the pattern. You'll probably recognize this pattern even from some of the things that we've done tonight or what we do most times when we get together, either on, on Wednesday nights or even Sunday mornings. Here's the pattern. Uh, the first one would be to read the Bible. To read the Bible. These aren't necessarily, they don't have to be in this order, but this is, this is probably a, a somewhat common order. So, so very early on in Scripture, even before we sang, what did I, what did I want all of us to do together? Read the scriptures, right? The verses were on the screen. I invited you to read them out loud with us. We didn't really talk about them or explain them. We just read them. I just wanted us to set our minds on the truths that were in that passage, okay? So reading the Bible. Here's the second part to that pattern. Preach the Bible. Preach the Bible. Now, this is what's going on right now. Scripture shouldn't just be read. It should be explained. Someone should be equipped and assigned to explain what is read in the Bible, now, I tend to do this quite a, quite a bit back here. Next week, you'll actually get to hear the Bible taught by somebody else in here. Come back uh, next week. You'll still hear it preached. It just won't be for me. But it should be preached when we meet. The third step in the pattern is to pray the Bible. Read the Bible, preach the Bible, pray the Bible. So even in our prayers, we should seek to talk to God based on how He has talked to us, how He has spoken to us in His Word. So we want to pray true things to God. Now, if you're here this Sunday morning, I know some of you attend other places uh, on Sundays, but if you're here this Sunday morning, the main point of Pastor Kelly's message is actually going to be on this idea of praying the Bible. How should Christians do that? What would it look like for us to work through a passage of Scripture and then pray the truths of that passage back to God? So that's this Sunday morning. I would encourage you to come and be encouraged with that. And then here's the fourth one. Sing the Bible. Sing the Bible. We should make sure, I want us to make sure, that the songs we sing are primarily about God and not about us. Now we may or may not sing the exact words of the Bible. So some have made a career out of writing um, songs, or put, I should say putting music to the Psalms or to other songs that are in the Bible and just singing those exact words uh, musically. That, that's a way to do it. But whether or not you sing the exact words, the idea is that we want to sing truths that reflect 
what the Bible teaches about who God is and what God is like and what He has done for us in the gospel. Now, what is constant? Look at those four things in your notes. What is constant about all four of those things? What's the same in all of them? The Bible. The Bible is what guides our worship. This is actually really helpful. We don't have to get super creative with what we do when we get together. We just have to make sure that the Bible is central in what we read, what we talk about, how we, what we explain, what we sing, how we pray. Uh, that's, that's what I think the regular pattern of worship is when God's people meet together. All right. Why do we do it that way? What examples are there? So we're going to look at some examples. So first, the first example would be an Old Testament example. So you could write this in your notes. So this is where we're going to look at, at Ezra. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah will be our Old Testament examples of this. Um, Read with me, uh, starting in Ezra 1, and we're going to read the first probably four verses, okay? Just to understand the the situation, the context here. Ezra 1.1, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing. So, so all of God's people, all the nation of Israel are, are in exile. Cyrus, king of Persia, is over Israel. But here's what that king says. Verse 2, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he's charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And whoever among, is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Okay, let's stop there. Um, God finally did send his people into exile just as he'd warned that he would do. And yet, after their time of exile, he's going to send them back to their land. He's using a pagan king to send them back to their land. And once they got back to their land, what were they supposed to do? Rebuild the, the temple of God that's in Jerusalem. That was their priority. The temple was the place that God had established for his presence to dwell. That's where he would show himself, manifest himself. And they were to gather there and assemble there for worship. So look at the very end of Ezra chapter 3. So flip over another page or two. Ezra chapter 3. And let's read in, starting in verse 10. This is near the end of the chapter there. It says, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord... The priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. And here's what they sang. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And then it tells us that, All the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So this wasn't just like they they sang in a monotone way or, you know, they, they barely were audible. Like they shouted praises to God as they were singing to God. And they did all this. Look, look at the end of verse 10. They did all this. According to the directions of David, king of Israel. So they bring these instruments and they raise their voices, and they're not just doing it randomly, they're doing it the way that David told them to do. 
In other words, they had read what David taught in Scripture, and you can read about that in 1 Chronicles 16, and they sang those truths that David told them to sing. They are singing truths that are in the Bible. Uh, go to the very next book of the Bible. Go to Nehemiah. Nehemiah is actually the sequel to Ezra. They happen uh, in sequence. They happen in order. And go to Nehemiah chapter 8. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 8. And notice the priorities uh, after the temple was rebuilt and now the people are assembled there in the city. Let's start at chapter 8 and verse 1. It says that, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning till midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could not understand. And all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. What's he doing here? He's just opening the scroll, opening the law, opening what Moses wrote, and he's reading it. And apparently he did this uh, for an extended period of time. He did this apparently for hours on end, and, and even the reading of it was an act of worship. Now look down at verse 8, same chapter, verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. Now, what do you suppose it means when it says that, that they didn't just read it, they gave the sense of it? What, what is it? Yeah. They explained it. That's exactly right. They taught what it meant. You could even say they preached it. They didn't just read it. They, they wanted to make sure that the people understood what was going on there. And again, they weren't making up their messages. They're getting them straight from the Bible itself. So they're singing the Bible, reading the Bible, preaching the Bible. And now look at chapter 9. At chapter 9, uh, in verse 2. This would be even after several days of this. Chapter 9 and verse 2 says that the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners, and they stood and they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And for another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. So think about this. For several hours, they just read the Bible in the crowd. And then for several more hours, they prayed as a response to what they read in the Bible. Now look at what they read. Go down to verse 6. This is what the people leading them in prayer said. I won't read the whole thing, but start in verse 6, uh, Nehemiah 9. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. Okay, let's stop there because you kind of get the idea of what's happening. What are they praying? The they're praying the story of the Bible, aren't they? They're, they're attributing to God all the things that he has done. 
as a prayer towards him. This prayer goes all the way down through verse 37, and it recaps all the main things that God had, had done for them and revealed about himself. So they are praying the Bible. Now, uh, we need to be a little careful here, because the way that New Testament churches gather for worship do not automatically contain all the things that the Old Testament Israelites would have done. So, like, for example, what's one thing that the Old Testament Israelites probably would have done in their worship services that we don't do? Sacrifices. Why not? Why would we not sacrifice something? Right. Something has happened between then and now very significantly. Early on in the New Testament, we see that the ultimate display of God was a man named Jesus. Jesus displayed God, His glory, His work. Jesus fulfilled all the necessary sacrifices for sins by becoming a sacrifice for His people. Jesus is eternal just as God is eternal. Jesus succeeded where everybody else failed. Jesus died and rose again to defeat sin and death. And so our response is to trust Christ completely and worship Him. So our worship is still of the same God. We just believe that God's name is Jesus. And we worship Him. And so if you don't know Jesus, if you've not turned from your sins and trusted Christ, you are not really a worshiper of God in the truest sense of the word. So that, so that is an... Ezra and Nehemiah are an Old Testament example, but let's see if the commands are still in the New Testament. So the next part to this would be the New Testament commands. The New Testament commands. And we're just going to look at a few of these. So turn with me in the New Testament to 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4. If you if you have a Bible from this room, you can find that on page 852. So New Testament, 1 Timothy 4. So in the Old Testament, people congregated for worship, and they based their worship on what had already been written in the Bible. Jesus comes, fulfills all of what had been written. Now how does the church worship? Let's see if we can get some clues. We don't have time, obviously, to see all that the New Testament says about worship, but let's see if we can at least recognize a pattern. Look with me at 1 Timothy 4 and verse 13. Paul writes this to Timothy. Now, Timothy was a pastor, so he's instructing this pastor on how to lead the gatherings at his church. Here's what he says, 1 Timothy 4, 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. All right? So, in other words, have the Scriptures there and what? Read them and encourage people or exhort people from them and teach them. Read the Bible, preach the Bible. Right? Uh, let's see. Let's see what else he says here. Look at look at verse. Um, look, go back to the same book, First Timothy, chapter two, and uh, start in verse one. First <clears throat> Timothy two one. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And again, the instructions here are mainly to Timothy about, what do you do when you meet together? And he emphasizes supplications, 
prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. And all the patterns of those prayers are in the Bible. There are, there are prayers of thanksgivings where just praise is being made to God. There are prayers of intercession where you pray on behalf of, of somebody else. So, so Paul seems to be saying, pray the way the Bible prays. Pray the way that God in the Old Testament uh, has written down for us to pray. And these are, these are public prayers. These are, these are corporate prayers in services, us praying together. So you might think, you might think something like, okay, well, um, I know it's important in my own personal time to read the Bible. And, and maybe you do really well with it, maybe you don't, but you at least maybe would, would acknowledge it's important. Maybe you even recognize, okay, it's important in my own personal life that I should pray. I would agree with, with both of those things. Okay? You should individually read the Bible. I hope you are. We have a Bible reading plan on the back of your bulletin uh, to, to help us read a couple chapters, two or three chapters together every week. Please follow it. I encourage you to read it on your own. It will do wonders for you. I encourage you to pray on your own and pray through those passages that you're reading. Pray that the Lord will help you to understand what might not be clear at first. Okay? Yes, do those things individually, but what I'm trying to show you tonight is that these are also things we must do together. You and I need each other's help in doing these things together when, when we come together. Uh, let's look at one more. Let's look at one more. Um, go backwards a little bit in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Just, uh, I think, two or three books backwards. Colossians chapter 3, and we'll see one more command in the New Testament. Colossians 3 and verse 16. Here's what Paul tells of the church there. Colossians 3:16. He says this, "Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God." So included with the teaching and admonishing one another is this idea of singing. My guess is there are very few other places where you sing with a group of people. Some of you I know are in choir. You say, okay, I sing, I sing in a choir. But again, that's not, like a whole, that's not always a whole room full of, of people singing. If you're doing a performance, it's, it's the choir singing and the audience watching, right? Paul tells the whole church, sing together. With your teaching and admonishing one another, sing together. He even kind of tells them what to sing. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And they do all this with the word of Christ dwelling in them richly. So think about it. If the word of Christ dwells in you richly, what kinds of songs are you probably going to sing? Songs that come from the word of Christ, right? From the word of God. Spiritual songs. Songs like the Psalms, okay? Um, worshipful, biblical songs that you would be singing the Bible. All right, those are some of the New Testament commands. And again, the pattern is the same. Now, you might say that's great for, for even New Testament times. That's a little bit newer than Ezra and Nehemiah, but what does it matter for today? So let's conclude this way. Some modern applications. You can write that in. What are some modern applications for this. Here are three. The first one is this. A youth ministry is not the same thing as a church. A youth ministry is not the same thing as a church. But 
as a part of the church, its practices should not be different than what the whole church should do. So if these are commands for the church, maybe you would say, okay, Prairie, that's great, but we're not a church. We're just a youth group. I agree with you. We're not a church. We're not our own separate church, but we're a part of a church. And so there's no like separate part of the Bible and says, okay, the church does this and the youth group does this. It's just the church. So if you're part of the church, what we do together probably should reflect what the whole church is supposed to do. So, so keep that in mind. Second application. Worship is primarily about God. It is not about us. Worship is primarily about God. It is not about us. That's, that's why it's all the more important that that our worship be biblical, that what we pray and preach and sing and read comes straight from the Bible itself because it's not about us, it's about God. Here's the third thing, third application. Grant, will you go ahead and position yourself for this? I want to I show this on video, but it's based on this third and final point. Worship should be based more on truth than on feelings. Worship should be based more on truth than on feelings. So, the blunt answer for what if I don't feel like worshiping, the blunt answer is do it anyway. Because it's not, again, it's not about us. It's not about our feelings. It's about God and His truth. There are times in my life where I have not felt like worshiping God, but when I come together with other believers, all of a sudden uh, worship becomes easier. Right? It's more encouraging when I surround myself and I see worship from you guys, it's a lot easier for me to then worship, right? Um, this next video is going to uh, explain it, I think, even better than I do. And, uh, and once he's done, I'll come up and, and pray. Oh, no. I need a power cord. We'll try to get through it. Go ahead. Awesome. We can't worship now. That's right. Um, that's fine. No, I I don't want to I don't want to hold people unless you. Uh, no, I don't want to hold people. Um, I'll, I'll I'll forward it on. It's fine. Um, we almost pulled that off. Okay, let's pray. <laughs> Father, I thank you for the clarity that your word gives about what it looks like for your people to worship you, uh, what it looks like for us to come together and to be encouraged by one another's worship of you. Uh, I pray that you will regularly point us toward yourself through one another's lives, through one another's worship. Uh, encourage us, keep us meeting together like this, I pray. Um, not just as a youth ministry, but Lord, as, as a church and as, as, uh, as your people all around the world. Um, thank you that, um, that it's not about us. Thank you we don't have to make it about us. We don't have to feel any sort of pressure to um, perform or to um, be creative in worship. We just have to rely on your word and, and we trust that it's enough. So we thank you for it. Help our discussions now as we think about more, think more about what this means uh, for us in our lives as, as we seek to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen.